friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears, ladies and gentlemen. You are tuned to the MC Lars podcast. It is Monday, December 2nd. This is episode 66. And I hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving. I was in Portland with my wife. We went on a little vacation. Beautiful part of the world. I feel like that could be a city I could live in for sure. <laughs> awesome place. So uh, back in the mix, I released an EP last week. It's called Humble Bundle. It's seven songs about newer video games that I've been enjoying. And uh, the response has been awesome. I've done three videos. They're really lyric videos with foot gameplay footage. But if you go to mclars.tv, that takes you to my YouTube channel. If you go to music.mclars.com, you can pick up the EP. It's pay what you want, and I'm really happy with it. So thank you for everyone's kind words. I'm going on tour in February of next year, a U.S. tour. So stay tuned on the details for that. But in the meantime, let's jump right into it. This week, we've got Mark with a C. Mark with a C is an Orlando, Florida legend. And this dude is prolific as he is nice. And I played with him a handful of times over the years, and I I love him. He's really great lyricist, great performer, great singer, great songwriter. And this week we get into his workflow, his creative process, his influences. He is playing at Will's Pub tonight in Orlando. It's his 20th anniversary show. So if you're listening today and you're in Orlando or within driving distance, go see our man, Mark with a C. Um, he has a autobiography and box set coming out this Friday. It's called Maybe It'll Be Good. It's a three disc set, I think, of like his retrospective and some live stuff. It was curated by his fans and the autobiography tells his story and it has stories by fans, some of whom have passed on, he talks about. So it's kind of a moving, emotional thing. Um, but I've always liked Mark with a C and it was really great to get to talk to him. Because every time we've talked, like so many of my musician friends, it's while we're setting up merch or while we're packing up or while we're backstage. And it's cool to just sit down and and have a face-to-face, -face, honest conversation. So check out Mark with a C and uh, yeah, go see a show if you can tonight. This week's episode is brought to you by the Patreon Larson. Shout out to y'all, Destiny Slate, Vic, and Andy Erickson, the new supporters. Thank you very much. And shout out to some of the old ones, Kirsty, Kenny Hadsill, and Logan. Y'all keep me going. I'm doing the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We've got the Hulk song, uh, the Ed Norton version coming out this month, and my Thor song. So check those out. I have uh, I did Iron Man 1 and 2, Captain Marvel, and the first Avenger. I'm doing them chronologically when they take place, not when they were released. If you sign up on Patreon, you get access to all the old Marvel stuff and all the old Patreon songs. There's almost 100, which is crazy. Um, okay. So this is my interview with Mark with a C. Check it out. Thank you, Mark, for your time. And thank you all for listening. And happy December. Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving, like I said. And uh, I'll come talk to you at the end. Okay, bye. Ladies and gentlemen, Mark with a C on the MCLARS podcast, finally. What's up, buddy? Hello. It is so fantastic to finally be here. I missed you. I haven't seen you in like a year and a half. I'm so glad I could make it down to Orlando and hang out with you. This is great. It's really <laughs> nice. It's, it's a reunion of sorts. We have performed together in, I think, three states, but we've never really talked in any of the states. It's always been with music going on, merch bands sound checking yeah i think the best conversations we've ever been able to get in are us setting up our merchandise before the show and that's about it that's all we've ever really conversed but it was enough to solidify that i believe we hold each other in incredibly high esteem yes we do and we have similar work ethics and similar passion and certain insanity for like doing this for so long <laughs> uh we have a lot in common man and you're a great lyricist, and um, I take writing lyrics very seriously, so I appreciate that about your work. And yeah, so that's what's up. Oh, thank you so much. And may I just say, it, since we're doing the Mutual Appreciation Society, um, you know, you were a, a, a big influence to me, actually, in, in one, uh, one case where I felt like it was... Um, I felt like it was okay to throw a Simpsons reference here or there into music, but it was really when uh, when you dropped Ballad of Hans Molman where I went, 
thank God people are being nerdy about this too. This is like my <laughs> biggest uh, animated passion. So I, in a weird way, it was the only thing that I ever felt kind of held back by. And I went, oh, look, Lars is doing it. We can do it. And so weirdly, you inspired the fact that you pretty much don't ever not see me in a steamed ham shirt now. <laughs> it's, inter- it's interesting, Mark, because the Simpsons go so deep with our popular culture that it's it's interesting to imagine a time before them as like this pervasive, like permeating reference. And there's bands that even like their whole shtick is based on Simpsons. Like I just toured with this band that does Ned Flanders metal. Have you heard of these guys? Yeah. Oakley Doakley. Yeah. And it, but it's like, it's like, okay to, um, it's okay to go all in with your passions. But I think the thing I like about you is that it's not Wikipedia reference porn of like this, this character, this character, it's your story comes through in your music. And I think that's like something I strive for too. Like it's easy to pander and get fans because you reference the right uh, switch game the day before it comes out. I'm not trying to denigrate that genre, but thank you for picking up on that. And also the compliments, uh, the, I, I'm, I'm the rare guy who, who strums a guitar, but didn't necessarily pick up that guitar one for attention and two to get laid. So the, the, if, if I'm writing anything, it was first written to please myself and there are piles of things where I didn't totally please myself, so you've never heard them and never will. Mm. The stuff that I put out is the stuff that I think there's a chance that the world, anybody, someone else in the world can connect to. I'm pleasing myself first and foremost. Then I'm taking the parts that are applicable to everybody else's ears and putting it out there. So it always, selfishly, yes, in, in a weird self-absorbed way, I suppose it does all <laughs> begin with me, but it has to because that's my outlet. And were it not my outlet, you'd have never heard of me and you and I wouldn't be speaking. It has to be a personal thing that you can't help but do because otherwise, yeah, we don't do this for for, for anything related to the personal benefit, I don't think. I don't. Yeah, I'm definitely not doing this for the money. I'm not doing it for the attention because I got to kick and scream just to get someone to mention that I'm I'm playing a show, you know. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's a it's very self-serving. But when you get over that hump of self-serving, and then you see the effect and a positive I- impact, a positive influence, and that people feel happy, better, they had a distraction from their bad day. That's the point where I go, yes, I did the right thing. This was worth every single mountain that I will continue to climb. The, the mountains never level out, at least in my experience. <laughs> well, because music can heal. Hey! Uh, I see what you did there. Tonight you are playing Will's Pub. It is December 2nd when people are hearing this. So you are celebrating a giant like release of, of kind of what a retrospective like collection, an autobiography. Let's talk about everything you have going on because this is exciting. Sure. It's the 20th anniversary of Mark Sardorius doing the persona Mark with a C, which is Mark with a C is the name of the public face of Mark Sardorius. If I called it Mark Sardorius, that would be rather ingenuine uh, because Mark Sardorius doesn't go out and seek attention. Mark with a C does, though. (laughs) Um, So it's the outlet for the exaggerated and embellished. The difference is that Mark with a C can lie to you in songs. Mark Sardorius won't tell you a lie under any circumstances. Um, But yes, it's been 20 years of doing this in front of people. Uh, I've put out roughly 13 albums of original material, countless EPs, live albums, official bootlegs. And uh, to celebrate, I put out a 3LP vinyl box set called Maybe It'll Be Good, The Best of Mark with a C, all of the tracks were voted on by hardcore longtime fans, so it it better be the best that I've ever done, or they were just pranking me the whole time. And then um, I, I did a memoir where the first half is – it was uh, begun around 2013, 2014. Then when I ran out of future, then I started writing the album as – or not the album. Sorry, I'm just used to saying that. Writing the book as a diary because – People at my level, we don't get our stories told when, you know, and and I know that you can relate to this all too well, Lars. Um, When you're kind of a culty DIY person, your story doesn't get told unless it's someone either picking up on what you do or 
conjecture or you've passed away. So I decided to just tell everybody everything while I was alive and you could ask follow-up questions if needed. Um, so how long is the autobiography memoir part of the release? It's about 330 pages. Mm. And then the there's a third portion where there's some fan perspectives where I, I put in a a request at a couple of Mark with a C fan groups like, hey, if you've got something that you want to say about maybe a show you saw or a uh, a record that you really like or maybe a record you don't like, especially if there's a record you don't like, be honest. Tell me what didn't work for you. Mm. Um, so there's a whole third section on fan perspectives. And one of the things that I feel really blessed about is that in it took so long to get the book done because I had to meet my 20th anniversary. And I knew that way ahead of time. Some of the people that wrote for the book passed away in the interim, and these are like their last published words. Mm. So it, it's extra sentimental to me past what seems very self-serving of just, hey, look at me, I wrote a book. Yeah. Your songwriting and, and lyricism and production kind of reminds me a little bit of Jonathan Richmond, like older rock and roll, but you're talking about very modern 21st century stuff, and so it's a cool juxtaposition of worlds and so yeah talk a little bit about that because that's an interesting point thank you for getting jonathan richmond i love him <laughs> sincerely thank you for understanding that jonathan wasn't the reason that i do what i do but certainly once i found that well i swam around in it and never stopped yeah but the the fact is is i i'm in an advantageous i could have said that word better i'm at an advantageous vantage point i should say where I was young enough to uh, experience computers and a very primitive version of the internet with things like Quantum Link um, that would eventually become things like AOL, early BBSs, but there was still a, a manner of only certain people know about it. And you still lived life, I guess, a normal web 1.0 way. Mm. I got used to living where if I need to talk to you, Lars, I pick up the phone and I dial your number and I voice to voice speak to you. Mm. That's what I'm used to doing. I'm programmed that way. And now I'm navigating a world where anybody 20 years my junior, being 41 now, is not programmed that way. And we already have a communication barrier between us. The only thing that I, the only way that I can figure out to continue to communicate is what I've got left that I can still do, which is stand on a stage, say things into a microphone, strum it in a melodic rhythmic pattern, and maybe the point will get across then. Music's kind of the last way that I've really got to communicate where I feel like I'm, you know, doing some real good besides hoping people listen when you say stuff here on on podcasts. But yeah, I've kind of had to relearn how to live and I do that same thing every time we make another technological advance. I have to relearn how to be in society. I think it's interesting, Mark, that there's this kind of new movement now. Brian um, from I Fight Dragons turned me on to this book. It's called Digital Minimalism. And it's about the idea that you do your best work when you are very focused and limited with your time promoting your material on, on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. Like if you can make that a specific task, that's a spoke of the creative process, but not the main wheel, you'll do so much better work. And like, I've been trying to have that, like the past few weeks, I've been writing a lot of music because I've been trying to just be like, okay, I'm only going to do Facebook two times a week for an hour and then do other stuff. And so it's like, for me, I regain my strength and like my joy for life when I revert back to that pre-digital, pre-internet me that fell in love with music as a kid, you know? I wonder if you can relate to that. Not only can I relate to it, I do a very similar thing, and I touch on this in the memoir, also called Maybe It'll Be Good, but uh, uh, around my third record, I started giving myself just uh, something similar to what you've mentioned, but instead, the inverse, I gave myself, okay, 90 minutes, you have to make something, it doesn't have to be good. You just have to make something, and you have to do that every day. Um, you can always come back to it and make it something else, but you have to make something within 90 minutes. And sometimes I'll even give myself the task of you can only use the following tools. You can only use a recorder, um, a metronome, a couple of nickels for percussion, <laughs> right? Like something like that, and then I end up co uh, 
coming into something more interesting than I might have if I had a billion devices going off, you know, all at the same time. But I also, well, you know, I know people, and, and so do you, so I can't shut off and be a hermit like that. I, I still have to factor in that people need to reach me. Mm-hmm. So I have to sort of do the inverse. I can give myself around 90 minutes to two hours that I can plan way in advance. Like, okay, that day I'm going to create something mm. and maybe it'll be good. But it also might not, but it's always a jumping off point when I come back to it. But those are my favorite, really my favorite times of being alive lately when I can just shut everything off and pour it out. Just pour it out and go, that sounds neat. And I like that, Mark, having a finite time because then it's an honest like exposition of what's actually going on. And... um it, yeah, if you do it enough times, you don't have to release everything. Oh, absolutely. And it comes in handy for things like, well, you've got a Patreon. I've got a Patreon as well. We end up with leftover stuff that we can offer our fans um, because of working in these types of manners. But secondly, um, I had to learn what you just said. I had to figure out, don't release everything you record. There's a period of my stuff from about 2008, really about 2007 to 2009, I was just crapping out so much material. If if I recorded it and if it was halfway listenable, it came out in some form or fashion. And then I would get really upset, not really upset, but a little, oh, well, why didn't this song tickle people's fancy? And... Then I realized, well, nobody can keep up with me. I'm not Robert Pollard. And as much as I love Robert Pollard, there's only one Robert Pollard, and that's why I love him. I'm not Cool Keith. There's only one Cool Keith, and that's why I love him. Let those people be the prolific song-a-day people. I'm not that, but I'm close. But when it's really good, I'll know it, and then I can't stop myself from releasing it. I can't stop from sharing it with the world. And that that's... What I had to practice, I suppose. Mm. I had to learn to edit. The internet kind of can self-edit for you, but you have to be selective with what you like promote the heck out of through Facebook and Twitter and like you know what I'm saying? Like I see what you mean. Yeah. There is a long-standing problem. Well, I guess it's not a problem. It only is if I look at it as a problem. But maybe you can relate to this too. Every time I've finished an album, I've gone, hey, this is an album from beginning to end. I know this is an album. It has track breaks, there's side one, side two, it's mastered, and that song, let's say it's track four, that's going to be the one. Everyone's going to flip out for this tune. And every time I find out I am 1,000% wrong, it's everyone's least favorite, not really least favorite, (laughs) it's just the one that people gravitate to the least almost every time. And then the one time it ever synced up was for the song one of these are going to be your day Mm. which ended up being a really special song in my catalog but up till that moment uh even on the album life so hard i thought the song everybody would take to was a song called military brat i was wrong they took to the song life so hard why shouldn't they it's a catchier song it's not as heartbreaking as military brat but do you go through that as well where you you get really uh attached to this is what my audience should expect of me and then finding out you're completely wrong and they tell you no (laughs) Lars this is what you are to us I think that happens a lot and I think it also can be compounded by people at Spotify being like oh this song we're gonna put this on the on nerd nerd rap playlist this week so it's like I don't even have the choice you know so it's a it's a combination of the metrics of streaming those services and the people who like and then the fans and so it's like it's a mess usually I split it into thirds I go, here's a third of songs that make sense to play that day in that venue, one third of songs that I know that people like and have asked me to play over the years, not just that day, and then a third of, okay, to an extent I am kind of promoting a product, so whatever the the product, quote unquote, is, and I hate referring to something that I looked at as art as a product, but if, if you've ever worked a merch stand... Dear listener, you know this to be true. There is an element of selling your product, explaining why this one is better than the one next to it, even though you made both items. 
there is an element of it, and it becomes very strange to have incredibly low self-esteem, but also sell yourself and have to be the best at representing yourself. Uh, I don't remember where I was going with that, but I think it was to agree with you. You have to play the new songs to promote the product that is on your merch table, because... Yes. We are... Uh, and that yeah. that's mostly how I deal with it. I, I sort of split it into thirds. When I get to play shows with my band... It's, it's actually way easier. I go, hey, guys, what are you in the mood for? And then they tell me, and then I fill in the blanks with a couple of new tunes, mm. and we're done, and we're off to the races. And pretty much as long as we play Life's So Hard or Nerdy Girls or Love My Little Squiddy or, um, you know, the title track of a record that sometimes quite offends people, um, if we throw a couple of those towards the end, people will sort of let me get away with whatever I want to express. And I've been very lucky in that regard. It didn't begin that way. Early on, when I was trying to introduce Music Can Heal, and we're talking, this is like 2003, I was literally getting bottles thrown at me because the songs weren't funny. They weren't fun. Mm. People had projected onto me that I was a comedian, and it just wasn't the case. Mm. And now, people get Music Can Heal tattoos. But I had left the song for dead. I didn't think anybody liked it. They had shown me they didn't like it. It had a life of its own. People found it. They let it into their heart. And they basically remade me and projected back onto me what I initially was going for. And now in this 20 years, I've come full circle. So I don't even have to use that splitting the set list into thirds thing mm. if I don't want to. I can just write down what I want to do because more often than not recently, my audience, the ones that have been there, they caught up to me. Mm. It's neat. It's a nice feeling. I feel like we're all on the same page. It's like animation. By having an album every few years, they see this progression like a photo album of your life. They've seen your your growth and change. And I think that's a, that's a powerful thing that when you start as a younger person, you don't really think about how you're going to change. I mean, at least I didn't. I always thought I'd be the exact same forever. And I think it's interesting. For me, what's interesting is realizing that that's not the case and your fans want to go with you if you're honest and uh real with them and you're kind to them and show them that you appreciate them there because and never and always giving them as much time as they need at the merch booth to talk within reason you know i see you do that like you're very you're very good to your fans absolutely and i don't always like doing the i'm up here you're down there performer thing now uh, that would be different if i were michael stipe if i were the kind of performer that just i walk on stage i sort of pick up the entire crowd and eat them whole and then kind of spit them back out in my own image I, well that's not really how i operate that's not what i want to do that's not what i set out for but i love watching michael stipe do that um but that said uh what you mentioned about being hard to typify, I think the reason it might run a little bit deeper is if you're a fan of music, you've had this experience. You watch a group, you hear a song that you've never heard before, you go, they get it, I thought I was the only one. When you can pepper in the pop culture stuff as well, and you're just hitting them on 40 extra levels that say, and, and I don't want to single any group out, let's say, I don't know, um, let's say Jack and Diane by John Mellencamp. Let, let's just pick the most innocent, no one's going to get hurt if I talk about it kind of song. Uh -huh. Jack and Diane. Oh, wait, you, do you know something about Jack and Diane? I know it was, I know Weird Al Perry did on The Simpsons. That was the song he did about Homer and Marge. That's the only trivia I know about that. As his stomach was large. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great one. Yeah. Uh, so let's take Jack and Diane. Uh, let's say you have never seen John Mellencamp before, you end up at the show, you hear this song, you go, that is totally me, that was my upbringing, that was my first experience as dating. Imagine if you throw in the pop culture references of what you are currently into, and it just happens to land with that listener. And they go, wait, look, they're sweating profusely while speaking to people. I sweat profusely while speaking to people. There's right. that social awkwardness but still rising above it. It's like your own personal oppression. They're watching you rise above it, mm. and that instills an extra layer, which I don't think, I don't think we came up with the term, which is hope. Mm. They, they might have been the audience, uh, in the audience, feeling completely, completely alone in a room full of their peers as if they don't fit in, but they identified with something that happened 
They saw everybody else cheer, and they belonged. And it's just, not just human nature, it's animal nature. The first thing we pretty much all want to do is belong. That's kind of why people like Weird Al so much is because not only has he appealed to many generations, but um, he's just a, a, a nerdy guy who like who likes pop songs and changing the words. And we can all relate to that. It's true. We all do it, you know, in the car or what have you. Um, we see ourselves in it, but I don't know that we knew we were going to see ourselves in it. You know, it it just sort of worked out that way. And in the specific case of Weird Al, but... There are so many people that heard the Weird Al version of a popular song first. And in a lot of ways, Weird... I think that Weird Al is the most underrated entertainer that's probably been around in my lifetime. That's to, this isn't to say he's my very fave or, or my biggest influence or anything like that, but... I have yet to find someone not deeply inspired in some way by something Weird Al did. Not one. I I like how, Mark, also, you and I were talking about, I think the last time we played together or before that, how the guy who mastered one of your records, Kramer, I'm a big, <laughs> I was a big fan of, and like, that's someone right. who had such a big influence on mu- on the music industry, but like, only a few people would really recognize how dope it is to have someone like that master your album, right? Not only did Kramer master the Unicorns Get More Bacon album and uh, the last album of original material, Obscurity, he also got the chance to remaster everything for the vinyl box set. Hey, that's awesome. Um, So in the case of the vinyl box set, as I sort of did predate digital recording, these all had to be, you know, these were... Analog, in some cases, tapes actually had to be baked to transfer them fresh in full-on, well, I'm using air quotes, everybody, full-on quality, um, lossless quality, but there's really no such thing when you're a lo-fi person to begin with. But um, Kramer was very, very complimentary when he was able to sort of see my career in scope, and his... The last thing he said to me about the compilation was, I'm jealous. And I'm like, if I could only have your resume, if I could only have all of what Kramer did to fall back on and go, look, I can make a compilation out of this. And Kramer's proud of me. He's jealous of me. (laughs) That blew my mind. And I'm so glad you're into Kramer and all that he's related to as well. I'm so glad to hear that. So this is something else that we are both always trying to wrestle with is the balance of being topical and timeless, right? Like trying to put in pop culture references that are fresh and interesting, but but make sure they're timeless. And I was thinking specifically about the song where you talk about um, from Justin to Kelly and Christian Slater and how like those when you wrote those when you wrote that song did you ever think in your mind one day these will seem like very old references or did you not worry about that i did both yeah and i still do it doesn't matter if people want to remember me they will it's not up to me to you know from the the ether make sure that people understand every reference i ever used it's just a song yeah. You know, it's just a song. But over overall, what's wrong with dating your songs with references? Do you not have a good time listening to the song The Twist? Right. <laughs> That's true. You know, is it is it not fun to hear the song It's Mashed Potato Time, though nobody knows what the mashed potato dance was anymore? <laughs> myself included. Right. Um, we're so far past what half these songs were about that... For example, we hear the song Last Train to Clarksville by the Monkees played overhead in a Walgreens, not realizing that it's mostly the guy calling to say, so they're shipping me off to Vietnam in the morning. Can we have one quickie finally? Oh, I didn't know that. Well, yeah, that's the coffee-flavored kisses in the the song. But yeah, Yeah. Clarksville is basically a I'm getting sent off to war song. And that's how the world met this cartoonish group. Mm. They were, you know, wacky boys with... Fun adventures. There was dark stuff going on in those songs. If it's meant to be timeless, it will be timeless Mm. no matter what you put in it. Because the most 
obviously dated song I've got is Life's So Hard. And in the first verse, it's got to write in my live journal, got to put up a MySpace bulletin. But the chorus, the I'm so sad, I'm 15, life's so hard part, doesn't change. There will always be teenagers grappling with hormones that will make them feel like the world's ending when it's not really. But it's a great thing to go through because then you actually get to learn the difference between your real fight and flight, fight or flight responses. Mm, Because that could be an asset. That could be cool, right? Or it just is, (laughs) right? Yeah, it, besides that, What's wrong with having music as a bit of a time capsule? You see in movies the way that every time we make a transition to a new format, digital to Blu-ray to streaming, we lose like 70% of what was out there. We're going to lose the same amount of music as we continue changing formats. It will happen. I might get lost in the shuffle. You might get lost in the shuffle. So why keep ourselves up? Just do the best we can with it. Say what we want to say. Ultimately, the honesty is what will bring people in if they agree, if they feel resonance from your honesty. They're not really... The average music fan that seems to be attracted to Mark with a C music seems to be two things. One, a misfit. And two, looking for something that they get that nobody else needs to understand why they get it. Mm. I am so happy to fill that role. But it means that I will, uh, to crib a bit from uh, Mark Everett, it means that forever I will be writing the B-sides that make a very small portion of the world cry. But that's okay because this is who I was born to be. This is what I was born to do, what I was born to create, what I was born to put out into the world. And there are a small faction of people that will tell me things like, My songs saved them, kept them from harming themselves, or littler stuff like, you are the reason I bought a turntable. That's what I get out of it. Mm. I get to see that I'm doing good for the world. And all it started with was a guy who wanted to make a pop song in his garage. It beats the hell out of digging ditches when you think about it. That's interesting, Mark. And, And something that's different between our genres... That is why I brought up the pop culture thing is like hip hop, especially when I started, is this culture that's really kind of obsessed with what's happening right now yeah, and the urgency of, of youth and like what's trending and, and, and hip hop is, that's just accelerated. I've always personally seen the dance in uh, that you're describing in your music though. Um, e- even if you take download this song, there's still clearly elements of... And heavier almost than the hip-hop, because the hip-hop, you know, you're you're delivering that with your voice. But underneath it, there are undercurrents of a billion different genres. I've always personally seen what you're describing in what you do, and it's not just recent material. It's not just zombie dinosaur and aunt. No, no, I've always seen that there. I mean, you cannot have a song like This Gigantic Robot Kills without looking outside the scope of just hip-hop itself. I completely mm. understand that, but it also works as an inverse. It, they're not as far away as one would think. Mm. There's a great story that blew my mind when I heard it. Um, I don't think it would be a stretch to assume that you are familiar with the group ZZ Top. Right, yes. <laughs> so the band ZZ Top, uh, the lead guitarist, vocalist, Billy Gibbons, he's just a genius. He's a great guitar player and you know, if you can get past some of the misogyny and the lyrics, the dude really can put a tune together. But importantly, he goes to a club in England and he sees this band and he's like, where's the drums coming from? I don't see any drums, but I hear drums. But there's no guitars, but I hear all this music and I hear the blues in it, but there are all these boxes. Mm. And he kept trying to ingratiate himself on the band to find out, how did you do that? It's electronic music, but I hear the blues. Mm. So eventually, he went met the band, talked to Depeche Mode, and then went, now how do I get that on my record? And that's how Eliminator and Afterburner happen. He wanted to get Depeche Mode on top of ZZ Top. (laughs) He wanted to inject Electronica into the blues. What you're doing is a time-honored tradition of what we all do. We try to merge our passions into something that we want to make that only 
we hold the formula to. And that goes to anybody who's listening. If you have a song you want to make, absolutely nobody can make it from your perspective with your set of influences the way that you will record it. Only you can do what you want to do. There's something special not trying to sound completely pop and current and um, to be obsessed with like the technical what's right now because maybe that isn't Maybe that isn't authentic. Maybe it is. I don't know. I've, I've been thinking a lot about this, Mark, as I think about wanting, like, knowing that I want to keep making music forever, right? And so, like, so it's like, okay, so how do I survive as a creative, happy person doing that? And what are some skills I can start adapting now that are going to be helpful later? And one of that is, is be more personal. The other one is doing more literary stuff, you know, because that stuff doesn't go away. That's always inspiring. And And the third is... This podcast has been really fulfilling to me because it allows me to sit down with other creative friends and take the time to figure out what makes them tick. When I say music saved my life, and I say it all the time, I'm not kidding. I only felt right, even as a young kid, when I escaped into song worlds, uh, those were the things that saved me even when nothing was wrong. Like if nothing was wrong around me, I still felt better. So the joy is always there. If I'm just, if I just reach over right now and just do this, don't even play a chord, just strum the guitar right there. I'm slightly happier because right. I made music. It is something that you might not think is music, but it's musical. And I'm so glad that joy can be picked up on and can be contagious in any way because there's so much else that can be contagious that you don't think about, especially anxiety and depression, which is just like shooting fish in a barrel in 2019. Mm. So instead, I, I like right now filling the role of let's think about everything, pa everything that's not political. If we're going to do Mark with a C stuff, let's think about everything that's not that. Um, so that means cancel culture. That means whatever you, it, um, the Mandalorian. Okay. Fair game. Great just not politics. Let me be the distraction. And I think you kind of have to choose that sometimes. Yeah. But that was dangerously close to politics. So I, I think I'll walk it back now. I, I find a lot of the joy I get now getting in my life is discovering and working with younger artists or other artists projects in a production way, doing guest verses, taking younger artists on, on the road. And just the, the nature of collaboration means so much more to me than it did. And along those lines, I wanted to talk about Claire and the Potatoes. Um, I had just finished making my album called Popular Music, which was an album where I used my fan base as a focus group because the idea was I could do everything that they claimed to want but they'd still never hear the end of the record because albums were dying. So oh. the album is a focus group piece and the vinyl itself is a pie chart. Like you're literally dropping the needle on the information of the pie chart. Uh, every bit of lyrical whatever is uh, explained in graph form in the liner notes of what I took from which user and which suggestion went into mm. informing this song. I literally wrote an album by committee. So after that, I really didn't know how to follow it up. But uh, as it was a sort of crowdsourced album informationally, then it of course made sense to crowdsource the money to have it pressed on vinyl. Mm. That necessitates needing bonus items. So the shortest way I can get to this is <laughs> I wanted to cover a song by a really obscure 80s group named The Little Girls. They're a fantastic pop group. It was two twin sisters and a cat named Kit Brown and just mind-blowing pop songs. Uh, the song The Earthquake Song was a fixture on the Dr. Demento show, but the song So Hard to Be True is what really did it for me. I wanted to cover the song, but I felt like it really, really lacked without a lady harmonizing. Meanwhile, Leslie Rising had been posting a little videos that they were shooting on their iPhone of them singing with their ukulele saying things like, oh, I, you know, I wish I could sing more. I wish. And, and I'd listened to her in karaoke and, and things of this nature. And she was so fantastic. I asked her, Hey, would you mind coming in to sing the harmonies on this song? So hard to be true. Lars, I had to invent reasons for a second take. <laughs> I had to invent reasons for a safety take. She knocked it so far out of the park that I was one immediately inspired just wow she just loves to sing and can and it's kind of untouchable the only thing she's missing are songs 
for her to sing. So I wanted to fill that void. I imagined being sort of like a brill-building songwriter from the early 60s. I am a man, but I'm taking what I assume to be the thoughts of young woman, you know, insert just faceless young woman here. I write it into a pop song. Then I can show it to Leslie and say, where did I get that wrong? Mm. And Leslie can go, okay, here's what's really going on. Out of that, the Claire character is sort of born. Mm. And uh, we... The Potatoes were her faceless backing band. Uh, the songs, I wrote about 70% of the songs. A lot of them were influenced by conversations had with Leslie Rising. And uh, about 30% of it was written by Guy Larme and Jim Myers, specifically Jim Myers, the drummer of Marco the Sea Trio, Milk Carton Superstars. He wrote the lyrics to Empirical Argument and The Real Enemy, which are my two favorite lyrics on the entire record. Mm. That's amazing. And we broke up very quickly. Uh, Leslie found uh, what she believed to be the love of her life. Unfortunately, that meant that she had to leave the state of Florida. It wasn't conducive to keeping a band together. And we'd impressed a number of zip codes in a very short amount of time. But unfortunately, the band just wasn't built to last. But we're all good friends. It's amicable. And I love each of them dearly. And I would take a bullet for all three. So one of the songs is on the compilation, right? There is the demo version of what I gave them. So yeah. Tell, tell me about the demo. Cause I'm, I'm just piecing this all together now. Sure. Um, all right. I, I can answer both. The reason for, I want to be your shadow, the Claire and the potatoes song appearing in demo form was one. If I put the Claire and the potatoes recording on the best of Mark with a C, if you've heard, I want to be your shadow versus the demo version, the demo is what I wrote. What's on the Claire and the Potatoes album is what Claire and the Potatoes as a band turned it into. So this is what I believe to be one of the better pop songs that I've ever written. But I could only take it that far. As far as you heard it on the demo, it took the other three to make it what it is. But it's the best way to represent myself and the part that I played in Claire and the Potatoes. But secondly, the process for deciding what would be on it we opened a Facebook fan group called the Mark with a C Advisory Board. And over a number of years, I had them vote for their favorite songs from each album. But they didn't really always know why. The results were tallied. And pretty much without fail, almost, almost everything. Yeah, 95% of the track list was chosen by fans. And I think I only... I only stepped in to break some ties. Mm, wow. So if I would have picked the track list of this record, it would have been absolutely different, but it also would have been wrong because <laughs> it is up to the audience to decide what the best I've done is. Not me. If I put out something that says the best of and I consult no one, I'm lying. Right. <laughs> I have made you a playlist. That's what I've done. Like people like Mark Twain, right? Who are so revered as like a classic writer. He was known for being a very bad judge of what was his best work. Like he was a big fan of his later Tom Sawyer adventure stories. He didn't think Huck Finn was that great, but history has kind of proven that that's like, that's a contender for the great American novel. You know that like there's songs that I prefer to perform that I'll, you know, if I pick up a guitar, what naturally tumbles out of me is not necessarily what someone bought the ticket for. And that's fine. And I go through that in the, uh, the autobiography the specific breakdown of when I am an artist and when I am an entertainer. Mm. There are two very different columns and I have to inhabit both to do the job of Mark with a C properly. But I also have to leave room for Mark Sidorius to be a human being. Mm. And that's an increasingly tough balancing act as we have more and more things that alert us that we are needed in our homes all the time. Right. This is why I just won't upgrade in uh, upgrade into being like a smart home. And I'm probably going to stay quite a Luddite in many, many, many ways. And it will make, you know, any visitors to my house go, geez, Mark, have, have you been outside in 20 years? I'm stepping over piles of records and eight tracks. What's going on? <laughs> like, do you, do you need to talk? It, you know, I, I seem like I'm just in a shack in the woods, Unabomber style, writing a manifesto <laughs> if you walk into my house. But it's just not that way. I know what I like. I know what inspires me. And I'm open to new things. And unfortunately, technological advances set me back a bit. Mm. 
I don't think as clearly. I don't create as well. The limitations of having to use yesterday's stuff to make stuff for today, that's the most inspiring thing that keeps me wanting to make. And that goes back to kind of what we were talking about at the beginning of this interview, your quote in the um, in your press release about the balance between old and new, right? Having a foot in the pre-digital and in the digital worlds. Yeah, and it's not terribly represented. I, I find that there's not a... It's a fine line to talk about because you're always three steps away from OK Boomer. You know, right. you're always three steps from, OK, Grandpa, shut up. I know things were better. Than, I'm not saying they were better. That's the important part to remember. In no way am I saying these things are better. Just that vinyl happens to be my preferred canvas. So I like it. It was meant for uh, for vinyl, whatever I've made. But for your art, Lars, the way I want to experience it is the canvas that you deemed best mm. for it. And that goes for anybody else. If someone wants me to hold their book and read their book and flip through it, not use a Kindle, that's what I'm going to do. Right. And that's the way I treat pretty much all art. So I feel like I sort of have to, in a weird way, guard that media can stay alive so that we can have these choices. And that means that I can't pay attention to every single advance, let alone apply them to my own art. I'm busy keeping dead media alive. <laughs> well, speaking of speaking of the canvases and archiving and appreciating, let's talk briefly about you have a podcast where you um, look at different discographies, right? And look at like the complete output of different artists. That is yeah. true. It's called discography. Discography is a deep well, and I haven't talked about it much this year because um, we were on Consequence of Sound, and we are no longer on Consequence of Sound. Uh, discography, when season four reemerges, will be an independent podcast. Mm. Um, it had gone on for a couple of years. The first season was diving into all of the canonical albums released by Frank Zappa within his lifetime. Uh, but I... I extended it one album past to Civilization Phase 3, so that was either 63 or 64 records. I experience these chronologically, and the best way that I can explain my process for the show is I wipe everything that I know about the artist off my brain, just completely erase it. And then I relearn it completely in chronological order, the way that a fan that followed them from the beginning mm. had to do that. For Zappa, this was really tough because he kind of began as brilliant as he ended. There's just, there was no dip in quality at any point for that guy. Uh, Janet Jackson was a very tough one. That season was really tough because she has the sweetest fan base and her records are fantastic. But there are two records that really, they don't quite match up. And unfortunately, they do kind of follow that halftime show debacle. Mm. Um, I can totally see why she was less inspired mm. at that moment, but I just didn't want to tell that fandom, you know, discipline and 20 YO, these just aren't as hot. There's just not as many bops. And, um, they also happen to be the two records where she used jam and Lewis the least. So sometimes it's hard to like break that news to a fandom. Like, I'm sorry, I just can't get into this record. Um, the who season was the most exhaustive research I've ever done in my life. It nearly, nearly gave me a nervous breakdown. And uh, we were halfway through season four, which I'll go ahead and say now, was going to be Black Sabbath. And it still will be Black Sabbath when we are in indie, but there was just a bit of a conflict of interest, and that's about all I can really say about that. Mm. Um, unfortunately, I just have to start recording season four over again. But Black Sabbath is a way more fascinating story than anybody gives it credit for. And frankly, the least interesting member of Black Sabbath between you and me, is named Ozzy. <laughs> this is not to say that I have an issue with Ozzy or do not love those records as much as everybody else. Yeah. But as a person, is he the most interesting? Maybe not. They had a, a guitarist who, who, was, who had a plane crash, right? Ozzy's first solo guitarist, Randy Rhodes, okay. um, did that. And that actually happened just miles from me in Lakeland, Florida. Oh, wow. Like, I I still drive past that field pretty much any time I want to get to Tampa. So, yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> that really happened, I, I guess, fairly close to next door. And it's wow. tragic because Randy Rhodes was such, 
I mean, this is like saying, hey, Dark Side of the Moon is a really good album. But, I mean, Randy Rhodes legitimately was a visionary genius. And he was so young, had so much in front of him, so many boundaries to break down. And and he was ready for them all. And he loved every genre of music. The, The classical influence in his playing, I almost think we don't end up where we're at with heavy music without Randy Rhodes just Mm. giving us those two albums, Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman. But again, I even find Randy Rhodes slightly more interesting as a human being than Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy is interesting because a lot of black metal and like all of that stuff, the occult in music, people attribute that to him, you know? It got projected onto the group. Yeah. That's the most important thing to know. And I, you know, I don't want to give away too much of what I'm going to talk about. But when they opened their debut album, they found that there was an upside down cross in it. Oh. They were like, what? We, they didn't design that. They're they're like 19-year-old kids from Birmingham, England. They don't know that they can tell the record label what to do. Hell, it they recorded the album in less than a day. Wow. They went in played it exactly as they play it on stage and like, okay, great. You got it from here. Then they took off. Bam. They see black Sabbath in the charts. They go, Oh, is there, did, is there another band named black Sabbath and go buy their own record? Look at the insert and go, what (laughs) now? Interestingly, in that same year on the same record label, there was another band named coven. Hmm. They put out an album called witchcraft destroys minds and reaps souls. I think I've got it right. The first song on that album is called Black Sabbath. From the third record on, there is almost always something in the lyrics that's, I mean, particularly track two on Master of Reality, After Forever, it is basically saying, hey, we're all Irish Catholic. Oh. We are not Satanists. Yeah. They're just attracted to the darkness much like I'm attracted to writing from the perspective of dark characters because you're better able to understand it and you can conquer fear that way. And I believe that Black Sabbath was a way to understand and make peace with fear rather than surrendering to it. Mm, That's very poetic. You put that well. I did an Aleister Crowley song for Patreon and I was reading about Ozzy's Aleister Crowley song and how he similarly didn't feel enchanted by the occult, just thought it was an interesting guy to write about. I don't touch much on Ozzy's solo work okay. um, at all. I, I'm specifically focusing on the, the, the thesis, more or less, is what is Black Sabbath? And Black Sabbath is not sol- Ozzy's solo records. Right. So I'm happy to talk about that all the live long day, my friend. <laughs> if you want to talk about Ozzy's solo records, because, man, I grew up on them too. I really like those records. I, I got no beef, no beef at all with Ozzy's solo work, especially, oh God, just the first one on its own, Blizzard of Oz. You know, here's hope and nothing happens to Ozzy, but let's say he was never in Black Sabbath, and let's say just he was the one dive bombing the tour bus. That would be enough. That record alone would be enough to make him the icon that he is. My favorite is Osmosis, because that was the first solo record of his I got into. That was the one with a see you on the other side, right? Yeah, that's a good record. Yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah. I like talking about music with you, but I want to talk about how fans can support you, get this new compilation and find you online. I think the best place that you can go to hit pretty much all the quote unquote marks you'd like is markwithac.com because first of all, that's basically a GUI of my Bandcamp page, but up top, there are a bunch of icons that will take you to facebook.com slash music. They will take you to twitter.com slash markfi. Yes, if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at markfi. You can go to Instagram. I'm markwitha because everything revolving around markwithac was taken long before I ever heard of the service. Always. It never fails. Um... <laughs> And, uh, oh, Patreon, if you want to monetarily support, because let me just stipulate, I am not begging for money at Patreon. What I'm doing is I am trying to make up the divide between the fact that when physical sales took a hit, streaming, uh, streaming went up, certainly, and I have more listeners than I ever did, but the bills aren't being paid. Streaming did not make up the money. There is literally a hole in what I used to make, though I have more listeners than ever. So 
Um, Patreon.com slash Mark with a C is where you can help fill in that gap so I can continue doing what I'm doing. Mm. And I'm very transparent about what I do with the money. With You know, I even apologize. Sometimes I'll use them to buy ads and I will go, hey, this ad went really bad. And then I'll give the fans that are backing me. I'm like, here's the ad though, because you paid for it. <laughs> so, you know, please enjoy this piece of crap. But um, if you want to pick up any of my music, if you want to do it physically, if you want to get the book, markwithac.bandcamp.com. Click on the merch slash tickets tab. They are yours to procure. You can get them digitally. You can get them on CD, whatever you'd like to do. But if you don't want to hold anything in your hand, you can at least experience the vinyl box set virtually because it will be on Spotify and all of the hot streaming services of the day. I do not begrudge anybody who wants to stream music because if you didn't well you weren't hearing this podcast <laughs> right the compilation and the memoir are both coming out on december 6th which is to my knowledge as close as i can trace it to the very first time i stepped on stage as mark with a c wow so, so it's like an anniversary of that yes it is an anniversary of me being mark with a c in front of people so that is this friday and so tonight if anyone's listening to the day this podcast dropped you're playing at will's pub and um, are you play? I assume you're playing with your band, right? Yeah, I'm gonna open with a couple of solo tunes, and the band's gonna join me. The opening acts, Crystalie. I could talk about Crystalie all day. Just what a talent! My gosh. And they wrote a song called "Maybe It'll Be Good," inspired by something I said in the one-man uh, theatrical play called "The Obscurity Show." Crystalie had never heard me before. Oh. Went home and wrote a song based on me saying "Maybe It'll Be Good." put it on the internet, and I went, you have no idea what I'm about to unleash here. And on top of that, anyways, I could go on about Crystal Lee all day. Um, Steve Guerin was the lead singer and vocalist of Precious, and if he had not been late getting to the stage, they would have never asked me to go up and fill time, and Mark with a C was never born. Mm. So we are literally flipping the script on that night. Just as the script has been flipped with Simpsons fandom. When The Simpsons began, it was a satire. It was keeping up with the Joneses, looking over your shoulder at Ned Flanders and how he had the perfect family. And now, The Simpsons are doing pretty well. And next door to them is a guy who's a twice-widowed, out-of-work dude, and he's looking to The Simpsons as the best he can achieve. <laughs> I like to flip that script, too. The people that you play shows with and spend your time with on the road kind of become your extended family and like that's cool you can celebrate with them it's better i i think better to look at you as a cousin than a co-worker so um <laughs> otherwise we got to do all the white elephant stuff and <laughs> yeah my cousin mark in florida yeah this is my cousin lars who just he doesn't settle anywhere he just he's always on the move when lars attacks he doesn't stop i know you're a very busy man so it's meant a lot to me that you had time to talk and and, sh and share your wisdom. And yeah, I always love to see what you're doing. So thank you. Thanks for being on the podcast. Lars, thank you for doing what you do because I know that I'm not just speaking for myself. You show people, as many people do in nerdy music circles, a way forward, hope. And some days when I know there are days where you've got to push through mm. and you're still there with the words like joyful and tight and it's contagious and the world needs it. And people like me, we learned a lot from you. Even I'm like, I predate you, but I've still learned a ton from you. So I can't tell you what an honor it has been to be here with you. Thank you. That's nice to say. Thank you, Mark. That's tight. <laughs> That's tight. <laughs> we, I like to always end, um, each episode when I have musical guests on um, asking them to just maybe pick one song um, to feature at the end. And I know I didn't ask you this before, but is there anything, a song you might want to end with maybe like something from that's on the new compilation? Do you have a, a song that you were leaning towards? I mean, I like music can heal. I know that's older, right? Yeah, but it, it's fine because I'm looking back for a whole year. So yeah. it's totally fine to use that. If you want to use music can heal, be my guest. Okay, cool. Okay, so this is Music Can Heal by Mark with a C, featured on the new compilation. And uh, go check out Mark's show if you're in Florida tonight, if you're in Orlando. Fly down. There's still time. And uh, You can make it. <laughs> you'll make it. Absolutely. And I'll be uh, traveling around a little bit in 2020, probably more than people expect, so maybe we'll cross paths. But thank you again. This is an honor, as always. 
Thanks, Mark. Peace. Yes. We all heard that story of the sad clown who wants everyone to smile. Well, I've been that sad clown. I think I'm kidding, but you didn't. Well, really listen to my songs. See, I got a soft spot for any kitty cat. to help at my own expense and sing one two three four five six one two three four five six i pay attention to the little things but now i'm falling behind the big picture of life i've been ignoring things of importance now who's gonna fix me trust someone fix me for Music can indeed heal. Thank you so much, Mark. That was awesome. And uh, next week we have Brian from I Fight Dragons. Whoa, I got to talk to him at Player Omega. I Fight Dragons is a band I've worked with a lot over the years. Amazing, hardworking group. And Brian's a very funny, awesome guy. We talk about Magic the Gathering for a disproportionately long amount of the interview, but it's awesome. Um, the This week we have 
our, our Patreon, Patreon Larshan Larshan of, the week of the week is David Hampton in Morganton, North Carolina. David, what do you got to say? Thanks for calling in. Oh, by the way, if you sign up on Patreon, I didn't mention this, you get a secret phone number that if you call, you get a free MC Lars t-shirt. What? And I pay for shipping. What? So David called in and told this awesome story. Hey, um, this is David. Uh, my son and I, Garrett, uh, has had a copy of the Zombie Dinosaur LP on cassette. And uh, we've been listening to it in my van for a while. And uh, his favorite song is The Dip. Uh, that tribute to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, my favorite one was uh, is uh, Forgot About Jack. Um, it kind of makes me want to go, to go and read some more Jack Kerouac, especially Desolation Angels. Um, and I have to say that, um, you know, Lars, you have a way of just uh, paying tribute to cultural literary contributions that just invites the listener to want to discover or rediscover uh, the relevance of the song's topic. And so, um, you know, my son and I have got something to watch now. You know, we got we got to watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, and uh, so anyway, thank you for doing what you're doing. Appreciate it. Thank you, David. That's cool. You can't forget about Jack. And I'm glad your son likes to dip. That song is awesome. I mean, Zombie Dinosaur LP, that record, I have a special place in my heart for it because... It has a lot of sleeper songs, meaning songs that people are discovering later that they relate to. And uh, I love that story. And it's awesome that you had the cassette in your truck. That's the only album I really officially released on cassette. Well, Dewey Decibel is coming out on cassette and vinyl, too. Um, Y'all can get that next early next year. But that's a great story. Speaking of the dip, speaking of Roger Rabbit, I want to shout out Disney Plus because it's freaking I'm not they don't pay me. Not yet. Hey, they don't pay me to talk about them, but The Mandalorian's dope. I'm working on a Baby Yoda song. Um, they have Roger Rabbit, and not only do they have Roger Rabbit in like 4K, they have all the shorts, they have the deleted pig head scene, they have a documentary on how they made it from the 2002 DVD release, and they have the original like theatrical trailer. It's amazing. And of course, I don't know, all the Simpsons, it's like... They're going to crush Netflix and everyone else, and there's nothing we can do about it. All hail Mickey Mouse. I don't know what that tangent was about. Oh, because David talked about the dip. Um, but that's what's up. Okay, I Fight Dragons next week. Thank you all for listening. Mark with the C. I love you, brother. And uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. And I'm going on a tour in February in the U.S., so stay tuned for those details. Okay, bye. Oh, uh, Humble Bundle. Check it out. Music.mclars.com. Peace.